Amen. Good morning, Cornerstone people, those of you in the building and those with us online. Welcome to all of you. It's so good to gather on this beautiful sunny day. Well, it started off rainy, but now it's beautiful and sunny. Uh, Please remain standing for some reading from God's Word. This is from Psalm 101, verses 1 through 4. I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity. Let me read that part again. I will walk with integrity, with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. And let me read again from the former slide, though you don't need to show it to us. I will walk with integrity, with integrity of heart within my house. Title of today's sermon is Integrity, Part Two. Bow with me and pray, please. Father, thank you for bringing us into this place. We come bearing the name of the Lord Jesus. You have, you've told us in your word to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So because you said it, boldly we come because of Jesus Christ, his shed blood, his atoning sacrifice. Thank you, Father, for receiving sinners like us to yourself, for giving us life, light, liberty, and all rich things to enjoy in Christ. Thank you for your word, and we pray that you will teach us through your word, that you'll speak to us, that your word will find its intended mark in our hearts, that it will come to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. For we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Please be seated now. Hey, uh, if you've been paying attention to E! News, you've noticed there are a bunch of people who just went through our membership class, and uh, we've... uh, put their names in there and you've seen who they are. And I'm just happy to tell you that that whole bunch, they're all members now. So welcome them in with me, would you please? All right. They know who they are. You don't know who they are. I don't think we have the names up there. No, that's fine. So this is a sermon on integrity, but I want to remind you, as I did two weeks ago in part one, that the main message of the Bible is not. So try really hard to have integrity and then you'll be good with God. The main message of the Bible is not try really hard to be really good. Talking to my next door neighbor and uh, it turned to religious things. He knows I'm a pastor. When they know you're a pastor, it's always easy. It's not fair. Always easy to get conversations going. And um, I asked him, we're talking about heaven. And I asked him, so what do you think? What's somebody need to do to get to heaven? And he said, be good. Be good. That is not the Bible's message. The Bible's message is none of us have been good. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's holy standard. There's none righteous, no, not one. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So I want you to know the message of the Bible is not try really, really hard to have a whole lot of integrity and then you'll be good with God. No, the message of the Bible is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
The message of the Bible is call upon the name of the Lord. The message of the Bible is his righteousness is reckoned to you and your wretchedness is reckoned to him and he bears it in his own body on the cross and this is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing, 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 all right? Empty hands we bring. Simply to the cross we cling. So this is a sermon on integrity, but the main message of the Bible is not integrity. So where does integrity come in? Here's where it comes in. Whenever you, anybody who ever calls upon the name of the Lord with all their heart and soul and mind and strength and is therefore saved is also regenerated by the Holy Spirit and made a new creature in Christ. And the Spirit of God comes to live in them powerfully. And they have what the Bible calls a new heart. It's soft. God's word goes in it. And that new heart, what do you do with your heart? You love things with your heart. That new heart loves new things. And they invariably, they can't help it, but they love God. They love Jesus Christ. They love the Holy Spirit. They love the Bible, the word of God. Paul says to the Thessalonians, one problem with some of the non-Christians is they have not received the love of the truth. And when you come to Jesus Christ and place saving faith in him, there's something you receive. You receive a new heart which loves the truth, which resonates with the truth. And you love holiness and you hate your sin, even though you keep doing it sometimes. It it troubles you very deeply and you can't wait to be rid of it. So, time for somebody to wake up. (laughs) All right, whoever that is, go ahead and wake up. So this is a sermon on integrity, but that's not the main message of the Bible. But integrity is a fruit. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone is the root, and it produces a fruit. And there are many fruits. Read your whole Bible. There's all fruits. But one of them is integrity. So this is integrity as a fruit of regeneration. This is integrity as a fruit of salvation. This is integrity as something that grows out of everlasting life. Now, let me remind you since it's been two weeks, what is integrity? It comes from the root word, the mathematical word, an integer, which is a whole number. So one is an integer, two is an integer, and so on. 1.3 is not because it's one and a little part of the next one. It's not a whole number. It's a whole with another little part. 1.7 is not a whole number because it's almost two but not quite. So it's less than a whole number, less than two, and so on. It comes from the word integer, and the idea is if you have integrity, you are whole. Let me illustrate that a little more from something just quickly to review here. Don't, don't check out because I said the R word, all right, quickly to review. that The Lord Jesus says he talks about uh, having an eye that is single, and I don't know, I told you back then, I don't know, I don't know exactly what he was referring to there and neither do any of the scholars I read, but it reminds me of my astigmatism and when I look at the moon without my glasses, I'm blessed, I get two moons up there. There's the big brighter moon and there's a little one that overlaps it just slightly and I have two moons shining in the sky. And if your eye is single, you only see one moon, but if your eye is not single, there's two moons and if you have integrity, you're a single person. We don't see one of you, but there's actually another part there that's kind of tricky. We don't see another part there that's sort of guile. We don't see a little bit of deceit about this thing over there. You are what you seem to be. You are what you claim to be, and that is a follower of Jesus Christ. So we also likened integrity to this. Integrity locks onto 
morals, ethics, values, and hopefully good ones, biblical ones. Integrity can lock on to bad ones. It's still integrity. It's just locked on the wrong thing. But integrity locks on values, biblical morals and ethics, like you and your fighter jet lock onto the jet in front of you and you got to lock, then you can hit him with your missiles. So integrity in the heart of a child of God as a fruit of repentance, as a fruit of everlasting life, locks onto the teaching of God's word. You know, Jesus said, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and I'm in this with you till the end. Um, We are to obey everything Christ Christ has commanded us. That is our... Those are our ethics. Those are our morals. There's what's right and wrong. And with a new heart, you want those things. And you mourn when you fail to stay locked on those things. But integrity is locking on to the teaching of God's word, whether it be doctrinal or ethical, and you stay locked on. And there's no trickiness about your being locked on. And you're not a one or a two or a seven or a 12 with a little bit of something else kind of hidden in there. No, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what you are. And that's who you are. And you're locked onto him. You're locked on the biblical principles. You're locked onto the teaching of God's word. You're like Nathaniel, the Nathaniel in the Bible that Jesus found and said, behold, hey, look at this. An Israelite in whom there is No guile. That's integrity. When you have no guile, there's nothing tricky. There's nothing deceitful. There's nothing kind of cunning like the devil is cunning. No, 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 no. Integrity is no guile. So best case is you have the right morals, they come from God's word, and you have integrity, you're locked onto those, and you're living your life accordingly. And that, my friends, will bless you. Integrity will bless you. And what we're going to spend most of our time on today is just looking at a a verse here, a verse there, a verse there, a verse there about how integrity will bless you. Like, what will it do for me if I live as a Christian fighter jet locked onto God's word, onto God's truth, onto God's principles of morality and ethics in the Bible? What will it do for me? All right, we're going to answer that question. You ready? Want to hear about that? That was really lame. Whoever rang that alarm, ring it again. We got people sleeping in here. All right. So what will it do for me? Let's start in Psalm 25. And here the psalmist says, he's praying. It's a psalm prayer. He says, may integrity, his integrity. He's pleading with God in view of his integrity, which is a fruit of his righteousness and salvation that is by grace through faith. And he's, he's upholding, he's holding up his integrity to God as evidence that he's a child of God. And so he's saying, may it preserve me. May my integrity and uprightness, instead of down wrongness, uh, he's got uprightness. May my integrity and uprightness, here's what it'll do for you. Preserve me. And why should it preserve me? Because I'm locked on. I wait for you. I wait well, what's his situation? Let's back up and see a little more of the context. Let's back, drop back to verse 19. And he says, consider, he's praying to the Lord, consider, Lord, how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, 
guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. And then what we saw first, may my integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. So he says, here's what integrity will do for you, and he's praying it will do it in his case. May it preserve me. Integrity will preserve you. Anybody, who, how many like jelly and how many like preserves? How many jelly? How many preserves? Yeah, I'm in a preserves camp. I want some chunks of fruit in, 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 my, in my jelly. Why do they call them preserves? I didn't look it up, but I'm assuming because they've done something to it so it doesn't go bad. Is that right? They, they've treated it somehow. It's probably going to give you cancer, but they've treated it somehow so that, so that it, it won't go rotten on you in your fridge. It's preserves. And that's the kind of word that the psalmist is using here. And he's saying, if you walk with integrity, it will preserve you. It will keep you from going rotten. It will keep you from going bad, morally bad, ethically bad, because you'll be locked on to God's truth, God's word, God's principles. They will guide you and it will be well with your soul. It will preserve you. Integrity will keep you out of a whole lot of trouble. It'll save you from a whole lot of mess and a whole lot of sorrow and a whole lot of woes. It'll preserve you from the evil one and his fiery darts. It'll preserve you from temptation. It'll preserve you from a fall. It'll preserve you from disaster. It'll preserve you in your marriage. It'll preserve you in your money. It'll preserve you at your place of employment. It'll preserve you with your friends. Integrity will preserve you in every way. And he says, may mine preserve me because, Lord, I wait for you. What's he waiting for? For the time when the Lord will come and deal with those angry foes. I got all these enemies, but, Lord, I'm waiting on you. I'm looking to you. I'm sticking with you and my integrity. And so that's what integrity will do for you. It will preserve you. Does that sound pretty good? How many want to be preserved by integrity? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh, that sounds pretty good. Well, let's go to the next thing. We're going to jump from the Psalms and into the Proverbs. There are a lot of Proverbs that use the word integrity, that are about integrity. We're going to look at a few of them. Proverbs 10.9. Whoever, are there any whoever's in this room? Yeah, that's y'all. Whoever walks in integrity. Now just pause there. Notice he's talking about walking. Walking means it's your manner of life. Walking means you are substantially doing this. Yes, you might occasionally fall from it, but you're walking in it. Walking means as opposed to you occasionally have a fit of integrity, and then you point at that and say, look at that, I've got integrity. No, you just had one little occasional fit of integrity. You're not walking in it. But whoever walks in integrity, what will it do for me? They walk securely. They walk securely. You want to walk securely? Lock on to God's word. That's a safe place. Lock on to the truths and the ethics taught in the scripture and keep yourself there by the grace of God. And that is a secure place. And you will live your life and walk your walk securely. 
word securely maybe think of from time to time I've been somewhere, I don't know, up in an attic or whatever, and you've got to be really careful where you step or you're going to go down fast, right? So you walk really carefully because it's not a secure place to be walking. But when you walk with integrity, you can plant your feet because you're walking securely. By contrast, but he who makes his ways crooked, and that's a perfect word to contrast with integrity, crooked like the devil, tricky like the devil. You're crooked. You tell them, oh, it's a great car, buy it. They buy it, it's a piece of junk. You're crooked. You say, I live by God's principles. You don't, you're devious, you're over here, you're deceitful like the, like the devil. Who, he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Maybe not in this lifetime, but at the last day, we shall all give account for every deed done in the body. Be sure your sins will find you out. But if you walk in integrity, you walk securely. There's nothing to be found out. There's no secret that you're worried, "Uh uh-oh, it might come to light. Uh Uh-oh, they're going to find me out. Uh Uh-oh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Uh Uh-oh, she'll discover what I'm doing. Uh Uh-oh, he'll find out I have five charge cards that he doesn't know about, and they're all charged up to the max. Uh Uh-oh, no, no, you walk in integrity, and there's nothing to be found out, and you walk securely. You always conduct yourself in integrity. It brings you security on the job. Very often when things go wrong on the job, it's because somebody lacked integrity. They weren't locked on to ethics and morals from God's word. It will bring you security in marriage. You really are what she thinks you are, and there's nothing she's going to find out that's going to make her say, I realize now I don't even know this man. It's going to give you security in your marriage. It's going to give you financial security. When you fill out your taxes with integrity, you're not worried, "Uh uh-oh, the IRS might find out. Uh Uh-oh, they might come for me. Uh Uh-oh, I might get audited. No, you fill them out as best as you can. You need about 12 lawyers to be sure you're walking in integrity when you fill out the IRS stuff. But, But whoever does it in integrity... You're not worried. If you're operating a Ponzi scheme, if you're Bernie Madoff, your scheme isn't going to catch up with you when all the money runs out. You're walking right with God, and that's a secure place. Integrity enables you to walk securely. So you're not living in anxiety. You might be a person who has anxiety, but you're not living in anxiety about, oh, no, what's going to happen because I'm doing this thing and it's wrong. Oh, no, what's going to happen? Because God says that's wrong, but I'm doing it anyway. No, you'll walk securely. Here's a, here's a related verse, Proverbs 11.3. Here's another benefit of walking in integrity. The integrity of the upright guides them. It guides them. But the crookedness, again, of the treacherous destroys them. A lack of integrity can destroy you, can destroy your career, can destroy your marriage, can destroy your kids. That's painful to even think about, painful to even say, but it can. Can destroy your relationships so that by the end of life, you don't have any friends because you ruin that one and you ruin that one and the same bad habits you never get out of ruin that one and just destroyed everything and your life is a path of destruction. But the integrity of the upright, what do it do for me if I live in integrity? It will guide you. I'm here to tell you that 
global positioning satellites, GPS, Garmin, Google Maps, has saved my marriage. <laughs> Amen? Any of you brothers know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm married to a woman, and women are more this way than men. That's it's a fact. I'm married to a woman who doesn't have good spatial conception. She has good lot of things. Oh, she's sitting right there. Pardon me. Hi, hi baby. Uh, now i got to be careful. i got to walk in integrity. Uh, and reading maps has been a challenge. And for years, you know, we'd be driving somewhere and we don't know where we're going. She's got the map, the Rand McNally Atlas. Remember that thing? All those pages of maps. And she's over there navigating for us. And something's coming up. And I got to know, like, do we turn here? And she's turning the map going, I'm not sure. And, you know, stuff like that. And many times it would lead to altercations. Thank God for Google Maps. Because they guide you. And integrity is like that. Because integrity locks you onto God's word, God's truth, God's principles. So you can plant your feet, stand securely and say, here's what I believe. I don't care if they kill me. Here's what I'm going to do. And here's what I'm not going to do because it's what God's word says. And you plant yourself there. And that integrity will guide you. How does it guide you? It makes every decision so much easier. When you have decided, I'm going to go with God, I'm going to go with what's right. I'm not going to go with what's wrong by the grace of God. I'm going to do it in my walk, which isn't perfectly, but substantially. But the blood of Christ covers the not perfectly. But in my walk, I'm going to walk with Jesus Christ. I'm going to live according to the word of God best as I can by the help of God's spirit. And that will guide me. What kind of a husband should I be? My lock on scripture guides me. What kind of a man should I be? My lock on scripture guides me. What kind of a neighbor should I be? What kind of a pastor should I be? My lock on scripture informs me and guides me. It is a map that doesn't just save your marriage. It saves your life because the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. How many want to be destroyed? Raise your hands. Anybody here want to be destroyed? No takers. Nobody wants to be destroyed. Then walk Walk in integrity. Here's another proverb on the value of integrity. Two, actually, they're very similar, so I'm going to read one, then read the next, then talk about them. Here we go. Oh, I love this one. Couldn't wait to get to this one. Better is a poor person who walks, there's that word again, it's the habitual way of his life, who walks in his integrity. Better is he than one who is crooked. That's the third time that word was used as a contrast to integrity. Better is he than one who is crooked in speech, just like the devil. Always crooked in speech, always deceitful, always clever, always tricky, always machinations going on. Better is a poor person, better to be a poor guy who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Everybody know what the word better means? Yeah. What's the word poor mean? <laughs> if you live in Annapolis, the definition of poor is I only have one yacht. 
if you live in Cecil County, it's I have a pickup truck. Somebody told me not to use any more pickup illustrations. I can't help it. I'm sorry. One of you wrote me an anonymous thing and said, enough with the pickup truck illustrations. There's lots of other things in the world. Pick on them. All right, I, I get it. I'm with you, but it's my world, all right? So pickup trucks. So the definition of poor in Cecil County is my pickup truck isn't lifted and it's not a diesel and it doesn't blow black smoke. What's God's definition of poor? It's very clear. I'll just pick one passage. 1 Timothy chapter 6, the apostle Paul says, having food, check, and clothing, check. With these we shall be, say the word with me, content. For, what's the contrast? Those who desire to be rich, dot, dot, dot. So the desire to be rich is contrasted with If you have enough food and you have enough clothing, be happy. So poor is, I don't have food and I don't have clothing. None of y'all are poor. Oh, you might be poor compared to to Annapolis. You might be poor compared to Cecil County, but you're not poor compared to God's word. Having food and clothing, we can say, Lord, it is well with my soul. It is enough. If I never get any more, I'm completely content. Godliness with contentment, Paul says in the same passage is great gain. So here's two guys, one standing on my left and one on my right, or two gals, one on my left, one on my right. And this one over here is poor by God's standard. They don't have daily sustenance. They don't have food to feed their babies today. They don't have proper clothing or covering for everybody from the elements. There's a poor person. Over here's somebody who is wealthy, maybe because they're crooked in their speech. So over here is the wealthy person. Now, which one do you want to be? And God says, that one's better. Do you believe it? That one's better. The poor person who walks in his integrity, and I believe some of the implication here is, one of the reasons he's poor might be because he chose not to be crooked, not to be deceitful, not to be devious. So... He didn't get stuff by doing harm to other people. So he's poor, but he's walking in his integrity. And God points at that in this verse and says, that's better than the guy with two yachts, than the guy with two lifted pickups that belch black smoke. It's better to be poor and walk in your integrity. Here's a second verse like it. Uh, Proverbs 28, 6. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man. Now there we say it. Who is crooked who is crooked in his ways. Implication is he might have gotten rich by crookedness. Now, there are people who are rich and live in integrity. So I'm not saying, and the Bible's not saying, if you're rich, then you're crooked. No, no, no. There are godly people to whom God gives much, bless God, for them. And they do much good in the kingdom with their generous hearts. But it's better to be a poor man walking in integrity than the kind of rich man who is crooked in his ways. So you, you just decide, Lord, I don't care if it means I'm going to be poor, if I never get two yachts, if I don't even have proper food and clothing and I'm scratching around every day to try and get it, it's better than being that crooked man. It's better than being what in the previous verse God called a fool. You ever been around people who are really don't have daily sustenance, who really are like every day concerned about, their biggest concern is how will I feed my kids today? 
I was at a pastor's conference in Santo Domingo, the Dominican Republic, and so other side of the island is Haiti, and there were lots of Haitian pastors there. Uh, I'm not exaggerating now, and I'm not trying to say anything incorrectly. If I do, forgive me. But you could figure out who they were very easily. They were the very, very skinny ones. I'm not kidding. And, of course, they spoke Creole, but there were interpreters around. There were lots of people who knew Spanish, English, and Creole and who would interpret. So we got to have conversations with them. And uh, I remember the one guy saying, my biggest problem in ministry is I have to spend so much time every day trying to find food for my kids. That's poor. That's God's definition of poor. And God points at that man, assuming that man's living in integrity. He's better. He's better than most of the people who have two yachts. It's a better life. He's better off. You'd rather be him because that poor man is walking in his integrity. That's how valuable integrity is. If you, if you make the right decision, well, it might cost me my job. If you make the right decision, it might ruin my career. If you make the right decision, that's going to be a lot of money I have to send to the IRS. Better to be poor and walk in your integrity than to be crooked in your ways. So you make the decision, poor doesn't matter to me. Easy for the guy who's got food to say that. But poor doesn't matter to me. Integrity matters to me. Now, all decisions just got very easy. When I have a decision to make, I will not just consult, well, will it make me rich or poor? I'll consult, is it right? Will I be walking in integrity? And as pastors, we have to make a lot of decisions. And when there are decisions to be made, sometimes it's if we go that way, we're going to face a problem. Somebody or somebody's won't be happy. You have to consult God's word and do what is right. Let the chips fall where they may. Let me remind you at this point in the sermon, the main message of the Bible is not, so try really hard to have integrity and God will like you. No, integrity is a fruit that comes from a root, and the root is saving faith in Jesus Christ. So keep that in perspective as we go on. Here's another proverb, another benefit to integrity, Proverbs 20 and verse 7. The righteous who walks, there's that word again, it's the habitual way of life. The righteous who walks in his integrity, oh, I love this one too. Hmm. Look at that. Blessed are his children after him. Blessed are his children. What will integrity do for me? It will bless your children. Now, how many of you have children? How many of you want your children to be blessed? You like look at them and say, oh, Lord, I want them to be blessed. What can I do? Here's one thing to do. Then, then lock on God's truth. Lock on God's word. Lock on Biblical ethics and morals, stay locked on, walk in them, make your decisions by them, and your kids will be blessed. Well, how will this bless your kids? Well, in a bunch of ways. One is they'll learn it from you, right? You're modeling how to do life to them. You got maybe 18 years or more to do that. You get to model how to do life. 
And they are blessed if they see you walking in integrity. They're blessed because if you're walking in integrity, there's a very good chance you and your wife will stay married and the kids will keep having the same parents together. And that's healthy for kids. That's very healthy for kids. And I, some of you have had a divorce. I'm not trying to make you feel bad today. Take it to the cross. Take it to the Lord Jesus. If it wasn't for biblical reasons, and then keep following Christ. But we all know who gets hurt worse than a divorce. It's the kids. They won't get hurt in many, many, many cases. If you're walking in biblical fidelity and integrity, I'm going to go by what the Bible says about divorce. It's only for this and it's only for that. Otherwise, you and me, baby, we're stuck like glue. Till Jesus comes, till death do us part. Whenever I perform weddings and we come to those words and they're going to repeat after me, till death do us part, I always feel like saying 30% of the time that's a lie. Even among professing evangelicals. But back to the kids. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. There's a very good chance they will not go to jail. They will get better grades. They will get a good career. They'll have good relational skills because they pick all this stuff up from mom and dad who are walking in integrity. They'll learn it from you. God willing, with the grace of God added to the equation, they may become principled, guileless, one moon followers, integers, following the Lord Jesus Christ. And you want that more than anything for them, right? Better that we be poor and my kids live and die in Christ than that we have 12 yachts and they die without a savior. What do you want most for your kids? I want them to know the Lord Jesus. So integrity, integrity, integrity in the Proverbs. Now I'm gonna jump ship and go over to Titus and this is gonna be about doctrinal integrity. It doesn't really fit with the ones we've been looking at real well, but it does because you want integrity in what you believe and lock onto it, and you want integrity in what you do, the morals and ethicals, and lock onto them. This is about doctrinal integrity, Titus chapter 2. Titus is one of Paul's young protégés, one of his young trainees. He's out on the island of Crete. He's over the churches there, and Paul writes to him and says, Titus, show yourself in all respects, to be a model of good works. Whew, makes me tremble. <laughs> that, that's a big responsibility. That's a high calling. What, what are we pastors supposed to do, Stan? We're supposed to show ourselves in all respects models of good works. Lord, help me. And in your teaching, show integrity. Everything you teach those people is locked onto truths in God's word. Everything you teach those people is locked onto the morals, the values, the ethics of God's word. There's not God's word plus point three of another thing getting in there. There's not God's word, but it's not an integer. It's an integer plus a little something else that you got from the world. No, 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 no. It's all scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. There's a purpose clause that comes next. In order that the man of God, technical term for a pastor, may be 
perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished on every good deed. Scripture, Scripture is what you lock on to. Sometimes you need a study of history that somebody in the world did to help you rightly understand Scripture, sure. But here's the command. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity. <laughs> I like that one. Like, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to show dignity. What does that mean? Does that mean like I should stand up straight with my shoulders back? Dignity. And sound speech that cannot be condemned in order that, so that, purpose clause that, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Like they'd like to badmouth you, they can't find anything that'll stick. But the part we want here is doctrinal integrity. We need to be such a people, and as individuals, you need to be such people that this is how you operate. Whatever God's word says, that's what I'll believe. Wherever God's word takes me, that's where I'll go. Whatever God's word tells me not to do, by the grace of God, I won't do it. Whatever God's word tells me to do, by the grace of God, I'll do it. I'm locked on. I'm a whole. I'm, I'm an integer. So you believe the truth. You stand on the truth. You stick to the truth. Always, listen to this. Even when, and maybe especially when, it's not popular. Now, there are teachings of God's word that are suddenly getting way less popular in our culture. We can probably expect persecution over them. It's already beginning. Persecution is lining up against Christian institutions, colleges, seminaries, other kinds of Christian institutions. It will probably come harder at the church. I'm no prophet. My crystal ball doesn't exist. But um, we stay locked on God's word. As a church, we want that. We need that. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. He's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost because he wants to lead people to Christ. But he stops to talk to the Ephesian elders, but rather than go over into their city, he stops in a nearby town, Miletus, and he calls the elders, he calls the pastors out, and he tells them to preach the word and shepherd the flock. And then he describes his ministry, and he says, remember how I did not shrink back from telling you anything that was profitable, and a few phrases later he says, and I declared to you the whole counsel of God. Like, I didn't say, well, I won't preach about that doctrine. That's not popular now. That won't go well. People won't like it. I won't talk about hell. I won't talk about God's wrath. I won't talk about judgment. I won't talk about those things. I'll talk about how God will help you fulfill your destiny. How God will help you to be the best example of you that you can be. And the people will come in and Paul says, they will heap for themselves teachers because they have itchy ears. And they say to the preacher, I got a little itch right there in my ear. Can you scratch that? You know how when you have a dog, you guys have a dog. Does he like it when you just, I would stick my knuckles in our dog's ear and go like this. And he's going, he just loved that. And there are people who go to preachers and say, right there in the ear, just give me something. Tell me how I can be so fulfilled. Tell me how I can have such a good life. Tell me all these happy things. You're going to help me fulfill my destiny and my purpose. There's so much destiny preaching now. 
Paul says to Titus, Titus, don't you go there. In your teaching, show integrity. Stick to God's word. And then, I love this, Paul adds, 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Sometimes God's word is in season. Preach it, man. They're coming to hear it. They're loving it. And sometimes God's word is out of season. They don't want to hear it. They're not going to like it. They'll persecute you for what it says. Paul says, Timothy, whether you're in season or out of season, you don't change, brother. You just keep preaching that word. You leave the results to God. Be instant in season and out of season. And then notice these words, reprove. Well, that's not popular today. Rebuke, that's really not popular today. And exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's doctrinal integrity. How we need that in the churches of Jesus Christ today. So, no more slides. Would you take us back, oh, slide man, take us back to the uh, series introduction slide, the title slide. That'll be good, thanks. So I want to remind you, it's more than remind because I didn't even get to this. When David said, uh, rescue me because of my integrity, you want to say, what, David, integrity? Like, aren't you the Bathsheba guy? Aren't you the noble Uriah killer guy? What do you mean integrity? We need to understand that when we look at someone's integrity, God judges their integrity, one, under the blood of Christ, and two, the integrity of their walk. Not every moment, but is there a consistent walk? Yeah, now and then they fall off the path, then they repent and they get back on. Lord Jesus, please don't let me do that again. I hate it because they have a new heart that hates that and loves righteousness. So when God judges our integrity... It's a judgment of grace, and it's a judgment of the substantial pattern, the walk of your life. That's why at the last day, these are amazing words to me. That's why at the last day, Jesus Christ can say to us these amazing words, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think, I picture myself there, if he looks at me and says his words, I'm going to be like, like, me? You're talking to me? You think I was a good and faithful servant? How on earth could you think that? It's the judgment of grace. The blood of Christ is applied liberally. And it's a judgment of the walk. Not the falls. Not the times when you failed to step on the path one foot in front of the other. So thank God for the judgment of grace. Amen. Amen. Integrity is a fruit. It is not the root. Integrity grows out of a heart that loves God because of the blood of Jesus Christ that has washed you from your sins. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for bringing us into this room. Thanks for all who are with us online. Surely there are people listening today who are strangers to your saving grace. Oh, Father, our prayer is that you would draw them powerfully, powerfully to the Lord Jesus. Father, may men and women and boys and girls come to have the root that bears the fruit of integrity. May they come to have the root today, saving faith in the Lord Jesus. Father, make your word powerful in their souls. Draw them to Jesus Christ. Thank you for the communion table we come to now.
draw us near to yourself in it, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.